0: When was the last time you had to fold a paper map, you know, like the ones you got at the gas station? Were any of you any good at folding the paper map, or did you just kind of end up wadding it up? Yeah, kind of had had to have a special knack for doing that. When I started working here, I had to buy street guides. You know, a regular map was not good enough to find where people lived. I needed to be able to see street by street exactly where they were, and you can still buy street guides. You know, if you go, sometimes you go to a gas station, convenience store, they will have them there, little spiral-bound things. That, you know, the idea is you can, you know, look up a street in the index, and it'll tell you, well, okay, this page, this, you know, this place, and that's how you actually find things if you're doing, you know, deliveries and stuff. Back in the days before now. Because after that we had the internet directions. You remember printing stuff off from MapQuest? You know, you'd have five pages to get out of your neighborhood. It's like, okay, we're we're just not going to print off pages 1 through 4 on these directions. Then came the GPS devices. Little Garmin, little TomTom, something like that. They were great as long as you had an updated map. Now it's all on the phone. You know, use Google Maps, Apple Maps, I tend, usually use Waze, that type of thing. You know, it's great, You just punch it in, go. It seems like none of that will help some people, though. I mean, you've know, you, you probably seen them out there on the road. You know, they're, the people who see those big, green, flat things with writing on them, and they have no idea what those are there for. <laughs> Nor are they using, you know, their phone or GPS. They're just... Tooling along in their own little world and all of a sudden their lane is ending or exiting and now they got to swerve over and that's your problem now. You've probably seen them. It's easier than ever to find the way to where you're going for most of us. Some folks, there's just no helping. But what about finding the way in life? When we get out of the car, okay, it gets a little harder. We have other choices to make. What kind of job will, will I have? What kind of career will I pursue? And we, statistics tell us that a lot of people end up changing careers entirely. You get into your mid-40s and you start thinking, do I really want to keep doing this? And sometimes people just say, you know, my degree was in this. I've always worked in this. I'm doing something else now. I'm tired of that. Or we also have to deal with the question, where am I going to live? What city? What town? What part of town? Who am I going to marry? Big decisions, decisions that have big impacts on our lives. And usually we don't find a map to those. But as we follow Christ, we are continually drawn back to God's word we continually come back to what he says and over the coming weeks we're going to be exploring you know now that we finished the bible we're going to be exploring some spiritual disciplines spiritual disciplines are activities actions that we can take that will help us draw closer to Christ sometimes there are things that are really point that are pointed out a lot in the bible sometimes there are things that are just hinted at that generations of Christians have looked at and practiced and have found this is a good spiritual practice. So we're going to be talking this fall about how we can grow closer to Christ, what we can do to grow spiritually. This morning we're looking at the Word of God, how it can discipline us to be more like Jesus, because throughout God's working with mankind, he sends us messages. Messages that point us to him, messages that instruct us on how we are to be, because if we don't have the word of God, what we are left with is our opinions about God. If you go start talking to people on the street, what does God want you to do? They might say things like, well, I think God wants us to do this, or I think God wants us to do that, and really we're just guessing, right? If we don't have something solid. Often we're talking about what we might like to be true. But sometimes what we might like to be true is not what actually is true. I would love it if chocolate chip cookies helped you lose weight. Wouldn't it be easy If you could sit down to a plate of the big old chewy chocolate, you know, the big old chunks of milk chocolate in it, and you could feel the pounds melt off as you chowed down, you know, dip it in milk for extra fat burning. No, it's never that. It's always like, you know, oh, the superfood is this. You're like, I'm not sure that is food, it's what my food eats. Now, if you try a diet that's heavy on chocolate chip cookies, your weight loss journey is going to end in failure. So No, if we're going to follow Christ well, we have to turn to his word. We have to see what God says. And it, it may seem odd sometimes to look to the Bible about why the Bible is important to us. It seems like circular reasoning. Well, the Bible says it's important, so we better take it at its word. Well, what else we got if we don't, ignore, if we don't pay attention to the Bible? If we are left to our own devices, we are spiritually adrift. We have our thoughts about God. But God speaks the truth about himself. We see his reminders of why we need his word. and We want to follow Jesus. I mean, The fact that you're here this morning says that you want to follow Jesus. Or at least hint strongly in that direction. That's a wonderful thing. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we need his word if we're going to do it well. We're going to start in the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. I hope you're comfortable. No. (laughs) Psalm 119 It's a long one, and it is given over to praise for God's word. And in it, we see that the word of God will protect us and uphold us. It will guide our behavior in a crooked world. The first stanza of this psalm says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways might be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I praise you. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Friends, the word of God guides us to follow him. Our ways, by ourselves, they're the opposite of blameless. When we try to come up with a way to God on our own, we try to come up with a way of living on our own. What we are left with is a way of living that we call sin. It is one that falls short of God. It is one that often is opposed to God. And you see, sin isn't just looking at God and saying, no God, I'm going to do this. Sometimes it's trying to be like Him and just simply falling short. Not reaching the goal. Friends, we're not going to be able to be like God all the time. We're sinners. But when we are devoted to the Word of God, we find our actions becoming more like Him. When we are immersed in the Word of God, when we when we seek it, when we understand it and study it, we, we find that... Our actions are being transformed. But that doesn't happen without a focus on the word. If it could happen that way, humanity would have figured it out. God wouldn't have had to write all this. If you think about it, it took God pretty significant effort to get the word to us. He had to inspire people to write it. And then those. Copies had to be disseminated, had to be preserved, over the years had to be translated. Folks, we are still translating the Word of God into the original languages of people. Most folks on the face of the earth can read and understand some language of the Word of God. See, that's the thing about Christianity. If you want to study the Word of God, you can do it in whatever language you you want. It wasn't written in English, it wasn't written in King James English. Some people think that you know Paul used the original King James version. That's why it's the authorized version. No. Vast majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Little bits here and there in Aramaic. New Testament is in what we call Koine Greek, its particular dialect of Greek. That's what it was written in. I don't know how many of you have ever picked up a Greek or Hebrew version of the Old or New Testaments. If you want to sometime, I've got them in my office. But we will read the Bible, we will study the Bible, we do it in English. I've got friends that do it in Spanish and in Russian and in Ukrainian. Unfortunately, friends, you heard me say a few weeks ago we were trying to bring some Ukrainians over. Their visa was denied. Uh, for some reason, apparently, you just can't bring missionaries to the U.S. right now. Sorry. But we don't make you read it in any particular language if you're if you're going to be islamic they consider the only authoritative version of the Quran is arabic you got to learn arabic if you're going to read the word of their their word of god no none of that in christianity you read what you got it's very accessible and god made it that way for us but nearly every verse in Psalm 119 has some reference to God's Word, whether it's the word law or it talks about testimonies, precepts, statutes, so on. All of them, every single verse, pointing us back to the Word of God. Why? Because obedience matters. Because we need to follow what God's word says. In the Old Testament, they're being called back to the law that, was, that established their nation. In Psalm 119, the psalmist keeps talking about the word of God. He's meaning the law and the prophets. In the New Testament, Christians are called to the Christ who redeemed, the, who redeemed us. Yes, the written word is important. But now, in Christ, we have it embodied in the Son of God. Which we still find in the written word. How can we be obedient to God, friends, except that we know what he wants? If you're going to do what you're supposed to do, you've got to know what is expected. At work, you probably have a job description. Or you ever drive down the road, you turn onto a new road, and you're like, I'm not sure how fast I ought to be going here. It looks like this road ought to be 50, but I wouldn't put it past some town council to post this sucker at 35, and there's going to be a cop right around the corner. So you're looking for the speed limit sign so you know what's expected. You know what's demanded. Friends, if we're going to please God, we need to know what he wants. His word is required. And when we know the word, when we follow the word, we're blessed. The psalmist speaks of not being put to shame. When we do what is right, we are where we need to be. You remember as a kid, your parents would leave the house and maybe say to you, Now you get this done while you're gone. Maybe it's clean the bathroom or you know, vacuum the floor or something. Well, if you go ahead and do it, they come home and you're sitting pretty. They're on the couch watching TV, my mom and dad, how's it going? But if you didn't, you hear them come in and, man, you're going to try to clean as fast as you have ever cleaned in your life. You know you're going to be in trouble. Friends, when we do what's right, we are following our God. We are exactly where we need to be. Now, I do want to say this. It's not a matter of God being on our side. Sometimes we talk about this and, oh, God is on our side. Folks, it is not a matter of God being on our side. Here, I'll save you the trouble. God is not on our side. The question is, are we on God's side? God is not endorsing our decisions, He's not backing us up. Friends, the question is, are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we with Him? God is not our fairy. Go- is not our fairy godmother. Not going to go bibbity bobbity boo, and now we can go to the ball. No, the question is, are we placing ourselves with God? By devoting ourselves to his word, we find ourselves guided closer to him. We follow his ways. We will be his people. We will be with him. If we don't have his word, we don't know how to accomplish that. It's like playing darts in a dark room. Anybody ever try that? Not that dumb? All right, we're going to play darts. First thing... Draw the curtains and turn out the lights. Wait. I wouldn't advise standing over there. No, we need to see. We need to know. And God's word is vital for that. But sometimes when we talk about the word of God, we might even get the idea that God's word, well, it's ancient. Yeah, it's old. The newest parts are about 2,000 years old. So people might say, well, what's it mean for today? You know, we always want what's new, what's great. What's the new music? You know, you, you know you're getting old when you're in the grocery store and you're listening to the music that's playing. You're like, yeah, this is pretty good stuff. Ooh, Ouch. And when I turn to the oldies station, I'm hearing the stuff that was on when I was in high school, and that's just wrong. Man, nirvana does not belong on an oldies station. Now, Some of you are like, I don't like that new, fl- newfangled music. Okay, you're really old. I mean, you know, the, you know, Rolling Stones at this point are probably classical music. It's old, we don't have to care about it. But Jesus addresses this attitude. And sometimes people people will try to assign all kinds of thoughts to Jesus. And really, what they end up showing is they don't know the man. Because a lot of times people will throw out stuff about Jesus, and all they really know is one quote don't judge. Here's what Jesus thought about the old law do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Here's Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. He's saying it all matters. And what he's talking about, again, the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. He says God's word, it lasts. It will outlast us. I do not expect to live to a time when God's word doesn't matter. As long as humanity exists, God's word will matter. And when humanity no longer exists, friends, God's word will still matter. And it wasn't so much that some people back then thought God's Word was ancient and irrelevant, but they were claiming that He was doing away with it. And Jesus said, "That's not the case. I'm not here to erase it. I'm here to fulfill it." He fulfilled the law. He completed it. And yeah, our relationship with the Old Testament, it's pretty complex. But Paul would later spell out the value of even that Old Testament to Christians that it points out sin, it establishes a cost of sin, it introduces us to a holy and to a righteous God. And yeah, we're a New Testament church, you know, we, we Restoration Movement Christians, you know, Christian churches, Churches of Christ, we're, we're big on the book of Acts, we're big on the New Testament, and sometimes we'll say, well, we're, we're New Testament Christians, and somebody might run a little too far with that and say, well, we're New Testament Christians, why bother with the old? Folks, if you don't have a, a, the foundation of the old, the New Testament means nothing to you. How do you recognize the Messiah except he is the one who is promised in the Old Testament? How do you serve a faithful God who created everything except you learn of that faithfulness and that creation in the Old Testament? We may have Old and New Testament sections in our Bible, but you don't dare cut them apart. And God's Word is not something we can write off just because it's words written a long time ago. Still applies. God doesn't change. He's changed the covenant from law to grace, but his word stands as Jesus is talking now, where he says, you know, not a jot, not a tittle. You know, the, the, what he's talking about are strokes of a pen. If you're writing Hebrew, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is one called Yod. If you'd be looking at Hebrew, it basically is an apostrophe. It looks like an apostrophe to us, but it's an actual consonant. Just a single stroke of the pen. And tittle, that's actually less than a letter. Some of these Hebrew letters, they have what we would kind of look at in in English. They would be a serif, you know, a, a font with serifs. You know, H has little shoes on it and that sort of thing. You know, the one up there on the screen, we call that sans serif because it's a little easier to read. doesn't look as formal. Those little serifs, that's the tittle of the pen. He says not even the tiniest stroke of the pen is going to pass away. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it. That's part of the change in covenant. He lived a sinless life so he could be a sacrifice for our sin, that he could open the way for grace. But doing that does not invalidate the law. It doesn't render it unimportant. Instead, it completes it. Why do we not hold to the law today? Because we don't have to. Because it won't save us. Not because God said, none of this matters anymore and throws the book out the window. You ever drive behind a school bus on the last day of school with the kids emptying out their notebooks? They don't do that much anymore. They get in a lot of trouble for it. I don't need this anymore. That's not what God does with the law. God doesn't take the Old Testament and say, "Nope, finished." And what He does say, "It's been completed." The things that are sin are still sin. Some of the laws completed, set aside. Some of it's reinforced, continues to apply. But it's incorrect and it's foolish to say it doesn't matter because it all matters. Some parts will apply more directly than others. It's not easy. You can't just go quoting bits of it and expect it all to stick. But Jesus says it's important, it will last. And that's why he says, and when he says this, the people's jaw must have hit the floor. They must have been, this is why you must be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. And they would have been shocked because in their eyes, how could you possibly be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees? These are the super pious folks. They'd have heard that and just taken a step back. Jesus, what are you talking about? But what Jesus is meaning is he looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, you know, look, these guys ain't as righteous as you think. They held themselves up as examples of righteousness. Folks, they weren't that great. And I tell you, you can look around and you can find people. They've been in church for decades. They're still not as righteous as God. You can look the preacher up here. Folks, well, I know I'm not as righteous as God. Not one of us is. If you're going to get into heaven on your own righteousness, you've got to be way better than me. Here's the good news. The righteousness that we need, we receive in Christ. We use His perfect righteousness. When we believe in him, we gain the righteousness that fulfilled the law. The righteousness that we have surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. It surpasses old sister Bertha who's been in the pew for so long that it kind of molds to her. It surpasses that of every preacher you can find. And it does so because when we believe in Christ, we get his righteousness. It's a righteousness we can never attain on our own. It is a righteousness that fully completed the law, perfect in every single detail. Friends, we are not so advanced and wonderful that we get to ignore God's word. Humanity has come up with a lot of new toys since then. But humanity's still the same. I laugh whenever people talk about how much humanity has progressed. No, we are the same. We are the same. We have the same temptations, the same peccadillos, the same personality problems. Well, you know, all of that is still around. We don't get to stand here and look back at the Greeks and the Romans and the Hebrews and say, oh, we're so much better. No, we are the same. We have different clothes, different language, different toys, but we're the same. People is people. And God's word mattered to them and it matters to us. We still learn from God's word. It still guides us. It always will. We will never reach an era in human development where we can close the Bible, set it aside, and say this no longer matters. And on top of that, Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, later on. He reminds this younger minister that God's word, all of it, is worthwhile for the Christian. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we follow Jesus, as we rely on the word, friends, the word of God will complete us will help make us who we need to be. When we come to Jesus, we're making an admission. We have to admit, I am not who I need to be. We have to admit, I'm not perfect. God may love me, but I am not who God wants me to be. And that is why the gospel message offends people. It's what Paul says as he writes to the Corinthians. He refers to Jesus as a stumbling block. Well, Jesus is a stumbling block. He's a cause of offense to people who want to be perfect, who think they already are perfect. Friends, we cannot package up Jesus in a way that everybody is going to be like, oh, well, that's fine. No, the very fact of Jesus commits the greatest sin that our society has. It tells us we're not enough, it offends us. And our society, man, if you give offense, you you, you have done it. I am offended. But the gospel does not backpedal. The gospel does not take a step back. It does not say, well, I need to take some time to work on myself. I thank you for bringing this to my attention. And I will try to be a better person going forward. No, the the Bible just says, look, the simple fact is we are not who we need to be. We are rebels. We are sinners. We have fallen from God. And only in Jesus can we come back to him. His coming stands as a testimony we have done wrong. We have separated ourselves from God through our sin. How do we become who we ought to be? We turn to Scripture. It's the Word of God. It's where we find Jesus. And even for those who follow Jesus, even for us Christians, we're not yet complete in how we follow Jesus. Bad news, friends. You ain't the perfect Christian. None of us are. We don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out. We are not doing everything perfectly. Now, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, well, preacher, I already know that. Well, if we know it, we ought to act like it. <laughs> because the fact is, following Jesus, man, that's a long, long path. The longer we walk it, the more we realize there's a lot more for us to do we need teaching because we don't know anything anybody in here know everything don't have any teenagers in here at the moment you remember when you knew everything as a teenager wasn't as it wasn't as a wonderful time Once upon a time, I joked, with the father of one of my friends, we, we, you know, he and I, were still friends, and we were talking about things, and I said, you know, the amazing, you know it seems to me, and I was kind of coming out of my I know-it-all time at the time, I said, you know it, 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 you know, it seems like you parents, you know, when we hit mid-high school age, y'all get a lot dumber, and then about the time we're a year or two into college, all of a sudden, you get smarter again. It's an amazing thing. We hit 14, 15. you parents of, a, of an early teenager. You are the dumbest creatures on the face of the earth. Your kids are telling you. And then all of a sudden they hit college and you're a genius again. It's amazing. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, no, we don't know everything, do we? And when it comes to following Christ, there is so much for us to learn. The mysteries of the universe, the, the, the truth, the truth of God. Things that it's almost impossible for the human mind to fathom. We need to know. We need to learn. And when we study the Bible, we learn. The amazing thing is that as we study the Bible, it's not the sort of thing we're like, oh, I know everything that Genesis says, now it's on to Exodus. No, as we study the Bible, we'll come back to a verse that we studied years ago and we'll find so much more there. When we, stu- we, call, we teach our Bible students in, in our Bible colleges this, we call it the hermeneutic spiral, but it, that you study the Bible, you learn a lot, and then you come back to the same passage and you find more there because you're not the same person you were when you studied it last time. We change, don't we? Are you the same person you were 10 years ago? 20 years ago? Are you the same? Anybody in here the same? No? No takers on that one. Now we get older, hopefully we get wiser. But we learn from the Bible. We learn from the Word of God, and it shapes us and changes us, and we come back and we learn yet more. And it's just an ongoing thing. It teaches us. And as it teaches us, we also find we need conviction because we do things that aren't right. Sometimes we study the Bible, friends, and it will smack us upside the face. We will study it and we will find this is something that I didn't want to hear. This is something that's critiquing me. Well, I wanted to be told I had it all together. But instead, I'm being told I'm in the wrong. And when that happens, we got two choices. And I've seen Christians take both of them. We can either admit, I'm the one in the wrong, we can pray, we can repent, and we can change, or we can dig in and say, nope, I'm going to get mad about it. How dare you tell me such things? Well, which one of those attitudes do you think honors God? Well, it's the humble one, isn't it? It's the one that recognizes that when the Bible is critiquing us that we're the ones in the wrong. If I find something in the Bible, I'll tell you, I don't like everything I find in the Bible. There's things that I wish were different. You know whose problem that is? That's on me. That's on me. I need to change because I know God's word is holy, it is true, it is correct, for it comes from the truly righteous creator of all things. If I got a problem, I know what end that problem's on. So we need to be convicted of our sin. We need to be shown those places where we're not right. We never like it, but it needs to happen. Because once that's done, now we need to be corrected to know what is right. See, it's not just enough to know you're in the wrong. you got to know where to fix it. you got to know what you did wrong. Wouldn't be real helpful if you were in a class and you turn in a paper and the teacher just gets out that red pen, a nice fresh one, and burns the whole thing on your paper. How can I do better? And the teacher looks at you and says, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. That's not helpful, is it? You can't advance. You can't get any better. No, but the Bible doesn't just convict us. It corrects us. It shows us. Here's how we should be. And being corrected, we also find that we need to be trained. We need to become more like him to be guided in the ways of Jesus. And this is what God's word does. It completes us that we can follow Jesus the best we possibly can. We will not be who we should be in Christ without a devotion to God's word. Because if we're going to be devoted to God, friends, we've got to be completely devoted to God. Jesus demands complete devotion. I look in here, I see a bunch of couples sitting together. It's always nice sitting together in church, isn't it, when it's possible? How would you have thought, gentlemen, back in the days when you were dating, if she would have said to you, Now I like you a lot but I'm really going out with about three or four guys and you're no higher than number two. You're not getting the prime dating nights unless the other guy's busy. Gentlemen, what would you have thought? Yeah, hopefully bye. We're gonna clear up your schedule for you and number three can move up a slot. No, nobody's going to settle for that. Jesus doesn't want to be our savior for those times when we've got nothing else going on. He wants to be the driving force in our lives. He wants to be the most important one in our lives. Because we cannot follow him well if he does not have that spot. Anything less, friends, the Bible refers to with the word idolatry. If there's anything we allow to come between us and Jesus. Friends, we have bowed down before a golden calf. We need to be fully devoted to him. Our priority should be to become like him. And the spirit living in us makes use of the word to accomplish this. If we ignore the word, we're showing by our actions how much we want to be like Jesus. And it's not an answer that we really want to say, is it? If we say, well, I want to be like Jesus, okay, how bad do you want to do it? Bad enough to read the Word of God? Well, not really. (coughs) Yeah, I want to be like Jesus. I don't want it bad enough to actually do anything for it. Well, then I guess we don't want it, do we? No, we should yearn to be complete in Christ, and devotion to the Word will get us there. We won't get there without it. All of this points to our need for the Word of God. It's not optional for the Christian, friends. The Word is vital. We need to be devoted to the Word of God. Now, it is rare to find a Christian who will admit that they don't care about the Word. If I start asking, hey, do you care about the Word of God? I expect everybody in here is going to be like, yeah, I care about the Word of God. But the majority of Christians might struggle with that devotion. How can we do it? It's one thing, you know, we've got the desire, but sometimes the practice is eluding us a little bit. You want to be devoted to the Word of God, be purposeful. Use a plan, a daily plan or devotional. Don't just try, if, if you're not used to reading through the Bible, don't just sit down on page one, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and, the earth, and just go. I mean, you can do that, but I'll tell you, that's not easy. I mean, you get to Leviticus. Leviticus is where Bible reading plans go to die. You do Genesis, Genesis is a piece of cake. You got some the, the stories of the patriarchs, good stuff, nice action, and you're doing good. And then you get to Exodus, and you're like, Exodus, woohoo, plagues. If it bleeds, it leads. That goes for the Nile River. And the firstborn. But then you get to the middle of that Exodus, and it's... Take for the tabernacle, get so-and-so to make this, and it needs to be this big. And I'm like, oh, boy, we're we're, kind of hitting a difficult spot, an uphill climb. You finish Exodus, like, okay, we're through Exodus. Whew, that was rough. You know what's next? Leviticus. You get to Leviticus, the priests will do this, and this festival will be done this way. Well, our resolve will falter a bit. So I tell you, don't be ashamed to use a guide. You know, if you've not done it before, do yourself a favor and get one that breaks it up. Where like the first day, you're reading a book of history. Second day, you read some poetry. Third day, something else. Because then you're getting a little more variety. You know, you might sit down. Monday, it's like, woohoo, it's skin diseases to open the week. And if the hair changes color, show it to a priest. (laughs) (laughs) Riveting. But at least the next day you got something a little different. Friends, that'll help. I, I think outside next to the staircase up here, there, there's a literature rack and there's probably some Bible reading plans there. Or if you can't find one, email me, I will hook you up. Or if you use an app, you, know, you a lot of times Bible apps, they'll have things that you can set up you know, or go get a devotional book. Do something, don't just sit down and start reading it. You, you, be purposeful in what you're doing. It will be easier to be purposeful if you have help. need to plan for it. And then when you're reading it, you want to be open while reading. You see, the Bible will reassure us and convict us. We'll get pats on the back and swats on the rear. Sometimes in the same passage. If our goal is to become like Christ, and it ought to be, we need to be shown where we need to change. I've heard it said, the word of God will comfort the afflicted and it will afflict the comfor- The comfortable. Sometimes we need one, sometimes we need the other. Sometimes we're hurting, we need a pat on the back from God. And sometimes we' just a little too comfortable. And we need get that good old holy two-by-four upside the noggin. The Bible will do both. So don't just look for what you want. be open for God's word to address what you need, what you want what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Because God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It will divide right down to bone and marrow, meaning it will cut all the way in, friends. You need to let it. And sometimes you're going to read something and you're going to have to sit back and say, Oh boy, Lord help me with this one. Be open to that. Because we need it. And be eager to do it. Friends, reading the Bible, being in the Word of God, it's not a chore. It's our life. How many of you wake up in the morning like, i got to breathe again. (sighs) Okay, done with that for five seconds. Oh, I hate oxygen. Or how many of you are sitting there thinking, I'm going to get out of church soon. When I get out of church, i got to eat lunch. I hate lunch. The chewing and the swallowing. No, we need to do it, but we still look forward to doing it, right? Or one of the most amazing things in life when you're a child, you hate naps, you hate going to bed. When you're an when you're adult, it's the highlight of your day! <laughs> Woohoo, bedtime! <laughs> When you're like eight, you get told to go to bed early, it's a bad thing. When you're an adult and you're like, hey, hon, you want to go to bed early? Like, yes! <laughs> we need to sleep, but we also look forward to it. Friends, the Word of God is life giving in that way. Do we need to do it? Yes. Is it something we can look forward to? Absolutely. Great, now I get to read the Word of God. It'll take time. Friends, not every morning is it going to feel like that. But you can train yourself so it feels like that. This is the Word of God. This is life for my spirit. This is where the living God talks to me. Friends, if we can bring ourselves to be disciplined by the Word of God, we're going to benefit from the Word of God. He gives it to us for a reason, it matters. We will not be who He wants us to be if we leave it closed, if it builds dust. I'll tell you, if I, if I ever visit you in your house, if you want me to come over, I'd be happy to do it, but I'm not going to pull on a white glove, walk over to your Bible, and go, Veep. not going to happen, because I know. You know, look, a lot of you may read it on your phone. Usually if I'm doing, doing a plan, I'm like on my iPad or on my computer, just easier that way. But we got to be in the Word. Because when we're in the Word, friends, we're where we need to be. We're receiving the life that comes from God. Not because it's dry text on a page, but because we are spending time and, with and seeking the creator of our souls. Yeah, when we talk about it as a discipline, we're always like, oh boy, I don't know about that. But if we do it, We're going to find we get shaped, we get better, we become who we need to be. It might be a task to perform, but it's a holy one. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We we are so very grateful to you for your word. We praise you that you have given us what you want. Lord, build in us that desire to seek you in your word, to be in it regularly, to be shaped and formed by your words that we can be more like you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.